Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. for tuning in today. In this episode, we're going to review some highlights from the first 21 episodes. Not all 21, just a selection of some of the stories that I guess reflect the ability to bring ourselves to work, what happens when we have to compromise ourselves, what happens when maybe we're not so nice as managers or leaders, things we have to hide from people or think we have to hide from people and also the qualities that are important to help people to thrive in the workplace. And we end with a nice recap on the importance of being happy at work. I hope all of these stories add some value to your work life. If you enjoyed the episode, why not let us know somewhere on social media? It would be great to hear from people. I know that there are people tuning in from Ireland, the UK, the USA, South Africa, Kenya, Mozambique, Israel, Germany, France, Switzerland, and many more countries. So why not let us know where you're listening to this podcast from And of course, if you enjoy this episode, you can check out the full length episodes for each of these people. And also, you can check out any of the other episodes that are available. Yes, we reached a milestone of 21. So celebrate this episode with me. Thank you. When I left London seven years ago and I told people that I was going to work for myself as an actuary from Cornwall, People looked at me and, and just, I might as well have been saying that I was going to go to the moon. Yeah, can I imagine? <laughs> yeah, so, well, that's just not going to work. And I was scared, I'll be honest, I was scared. But I thought, do you know what? If I don't do this, how will my children or the next generation ever think anything apart from having to go to the city, put on that blue suit from Marks and Spencers that I hated? Oh, my goodness mm. me, like my office clothes. I used to spend money on these beautiful clothes I really just didn't like, but had to wear. And you just had to turn up in the city in your uncomfortable shoes, go and get your coffee and sit at your desk and and get on. And be grateful for your job. Be grateful for your job. And if you do leave your desk, I mean, remember in one of the organisations I worked in, there was a rule that if you left your desk, you had to put your jacket on. Oh, for God's sake. I know, I know. And, and it, it didn't help anyone. I remember going to events and 
just seen a sea of 40 and 50 year old men in blue suits with eyes that look similar. And I have no idea who was who because there was no distinguishing feature. And it's awful to say, but I struggled and it was easier for us women because you could wear a red jacket or you could wear um, a pair of shoes that were a different color, but that was a strange environment actually looking back. And it wasn't very diverse at all. It really wasn't. And it's a joy now being able to access so much more diversity online. Even things like seeing into people's homes on a Zoom meeting, it tells you a bit about someone, doesn't it? And it's like, doesn't it? Yeah. I was on a Zoom call the other day and someone had loads of model toys at the top of their book, bookshelf. And I was just so fascinated. I was like, wow, you know, this, this person has, has got this whole collection and they've probably gone into the office for years and never mentioned it because we just yeah. don't. And you start to see people as people, as human yes. beings that have lives. Yeah. yeah. And it, it will start to burst stereotypes. That is right, absolutely, because there is no stereotype. And that is the point. I don't think there is a stereotype because when you start to learn about people, we're all different, we're all unique. And we've all got our quirks. We've all got little things that we enjoy and do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be human. And I think the only thing that's been wrong has been that we haven't been able to talk about ourselves and be ourselves. We're not... um, um, different we've not been able to express those differences I, I remember my first appraisal and um I and I actually think that they were right in mentioning this but I I'm quite annoying so I walk around and I sing to myself and um, this is just something that I've always done and and I was sat there in the office and, and at some point I don't even remember doing it but apparently I'd been singing to myself it's on the 360 feedback and um I said right we've got some feedback from our colleagues that we want to share with you I was super keen to hear what it was because, of course, I'm like, right, tell me and then I'll fix it. Yeah. I'll just be whatever you want me to be because I want to be promoted. Um, and that in itself was awful, wasn't it? I mean, it's like a method of control. Like, tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. Just anything. And they said, yeah, you've got to stop singing in the office, Max. And I was sort of a bit horrified. I was like, really? So that means that I've got to come in here and I'm not allowed just to have a little, you know, sing song quietly to myself and like no and and I was like oh right yeah no I get that fine but then fast forward 10 years and I look back now and I was I think we talk about controlling relationships and I think I was possibly in a controlling relationship with the city not with any organization in particular not with any individual in particular but with the the institution of it and it it yeah it took a little while to undo that I think So I'm using it as an example of how being in that city, for me, compromised me gradually over a long period of time. And by the time I came out, I wasn't me anymore. Yeah. During my articles at Grant Thornton, I had many run-ins with partners and with HR who, I guess, it, it, it didn't really sit well with how I was meant to be representing myself and presenting myself as an accountant and, you know and uh, it really came to a head where I, I used to love giving concerts at clients and and at the end of the audit as a, as a little first year trainee uh, 
auditor, I used to offer the client a, a concert. You know, do you oh want to God. bring your do you want to bring your staff into the boardroom on the last day of the audit, and I'll bring my keyboard and my sound system. I'll set up and I'll give you guys a concert. And obviously, the client loved this idea. Cool, the auditor's going to give us a concert, but the company I worked for didn't see it the same way. And didn't appreciate the fact that I, I wanted to sing at work, even though I was doing fantastic things for client relations and seeing the auditor as being human and being a person who could also have do other things other than audit. But yeah, my accounting firm didn't see this one. They put a, put a stop to that and uh, said, talk less about your love for music. And uh, I happened to mention to a manager that my real passion was music and singing and performing. And uh, it affected my, my performance review terribly. And the manager wrote on my performance review, Mark needs to, to, to really get clarity on what's more important to him, his music or his accounting. And, um, and, and because of that, I was rated very badly on that audit and I got a drop in salary and et cetera. So I just started being silent about the, the music thing for the rest of my auditing career. It's really interesting. It's crazy, isn't it? 100%. How we compromise ourselves. The, the, a... the second I finished articles and the second I walked through that door and I was a qualified chartered accountant, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And that was to go to the bright lights of New York City to sing. Fantastic. And, and I, like, oh I, like, like, I like broke free. Like it was like, you know, just like the shackles of being in an office doing numbers just kind of, you know, it, it, it gave me clarity. And, and, and that was what I did. Wow. A suitcase. <laughs> Just part of my breaking free. It was actually part of my recovery process, I guess, because when you are a creative person and you are doing numbers and spreadsheets all day, every day, it's a struggle. Like you're struggling inside yourself. So that was just my break free moment. I think that's part of the reason I was such a bitch of a manager because I had a terrible domestic situation at that point when mm. I was that role and I couldn't be the bitch at home so I got to do it at... I got to do it <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean it had to come out somewhere it was a case of well my job is to make sure you do your job so rather than be the genuine person who was behind the horrible domestic situation I just took all that and and it came up there and it is you know if anybody sat down with me and said why have you suddenly changed from being this nice person that we employed and promoted and put into this position why have you suddenly started being a right hag yeah and if I did but then there I wouldn't have told them I'd have just gone well that's what you expect of me well, they were probably proud of you. <laughs> they kept promoting me, so they must have been. There you go. You see, you were ticking all the boxes. We're doing all the dirty work, you know. And the job was getting done. If you've got that professional, honest, respectful relationship with somebody, mm -hmm. and if you have a culture where feedback is part and parcel of the environment, and I'm a massive believer in catch people doing something right, because if people yes. get used to you telling them that was a brilliant call. I really like the way that you closed them down, got that appointment, or you really handled that customer well then. And, you know, you could tell that they were getting quite upset, but you did a brilliant job. It's really easy to then just be able to go to them and go, oh God, that sounded really tough. Mm -hmm. 
did you know did that go the way you wanted it to mm. and, and you know it was more often not we are harder on ourselves than anyone else could ever be so you can guarantee they get off that phone and they just to be able to go actually do you know what I god I should have said this and I should have said that and and to have someone who says do you know yeah but that's great because you'll try that next time won't you mm. rather than yes you should mm. or why didn't you yeah. Yeah. yeah I heard that that was terrible yeah it's, it's all about how how you have those conversations and, and I do think that is one of the things that makes me good at what I do now is that I have done the job I am mm. not just standing there as a mm. management and leadership consultant without having ever done it it is mm-hmm. god I've, I've I've learned the hard way you've been through the trenches <laughs> I come in there and I've got so many terrible tales to tell you I've also got the positives but I can yeah. tell but I think the amount of times that you do handle stuff badly. And, and you know, I have one particular, and I, I won't share it because it was so awful. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> it was awful. It was, it was, I handled something so badly. Mm. And I knew, even as, it, as this car crash meeting was going on, mm. I just wanted to say, do you know what, can we stop again? Mm. But I didn't have the courage to do that. And actually, I think they'd have respected me way more if I'd have just gone, do you know what? I'm completely screwing this up. I'm really sorry. Mm. Let's just start again and mm. ignore anything that I've said so far. Tell me what's wrong. Would have been a way better way to handle it. I've been in this field for 20 years and so much has changed in that time. And we still use a lot of the same principles and models, but the willingness to to understand that the stuff I've been banging on about for 20 years actually has value mm. <laughs> and has a massive benefit to the bottom mm. line of your business if you give your people the opportunity to do what they're best at do it to the best of their abilities and the responsibility to get on and do it and the trust to make that happen mm-hmm. they will bring you so much back mm. Um, I was talking to someone this morning, we were talking about the fact that only 15, no, 16% of people in the UK are fully engaged and passionate about their job. Another 15% hate their job. That leaves a big number in the middle that really don't care. And that worries me more than the number of people that hate their job. It's very scary. Clearly things have changed a lot in the last 20 years, but why are there still so many people that don't know how to manage or lead? I think because people like me and people like you and people who passionately believe this stuff works Mm -hmm. have been open to it for a long time. There's a massive culture shift, isn't there? There's a massive, massive demographic shift in the workplace. The demographics of the world have changed so much and that all of this leadership thinking and and the belief that people can add so much more value than the return on their salary if you Mm -hmm. allow people to flourish and build on their strengths and use their strengths and and Mm -hmm. teams that that work like that thinking it's only now that people that genuinely believe that are getting into the positions of real power to change that so supporting in their difficult, lonely, isolated, challenging role. And that will save Oxfam lots of money because for somebody who might renew their contract, but they don't because they're 
fed up and fraught. And if, if a management coach can help the person to enjoy the job they're doing and, and feel fulfilled in the job they're doing and do it better, they will save the organization a load of money by renewing their contract and, and continuing. So being a coach to Oxford country directors is perhaps the world's best job. You travel the world, go to interesting places, help people with their challenges and, and, and see them flourish. <laughs> and uh, what is the secret to flourishing? I would say it's doing simple things consistently. Coaching is about encouraging people to do simple things consistently and good management is indeed doing simple things consistently and what are the simple things um always acknowledge the reports that people give to you let them know you've read it and that you appreciate it always have your one-to-one -one meetings with your colleagues always listen to them <laughs> always yes yeah, so the, the people things. side so getting the best out of people yes yeah it you will get the best out of people i think by doing simple things consistently yeah. uh, not letting the urgent replace the important mm. the important is very often not urgent mm -hmm. but it's important and the urgent is very often not important, but it's urgent, so you do it. <laughs> the job as a manager is quite different from the job as, as a doer. Mm -hmm. And so many of our managers don't manage their colleagues because really they feel now they've got a license to do even more. So there they are busy doing, and I, they haven't got time to spend, you know, have meetings with colleagues and discuss what they're doing or not doing they're too busy doing and that is i would say a fatal flaw because okay. mm. because your job now is managing the others not doing it yourself and indeed maybe not doing anything except supporting and managing and and realizing what it is that you're responsibility is as a manager mm. and yes sometimes the manager's manager doesn't appreciate that and the manager should be focusing on mm. the production capacity of those working you know the goose not the golden egg yeah look after the goose and it <laughs> produce the golden egg i think there's a lot of very interesting areas of good management trickling down or indeed bad management trickling down i recall talking with a group of middle managers about how they were treated by their managers and whether they got acknowledgement for the reports they wrote and comments about them and whether they had a regular you know meeting with their manager to check progress and and uh, their objectives and how they were getting on no no there's none of those no no they never no that's no and i said and how about the way that you relate to the people you manage 
And they suddenly realize that all the criticisms they are making of their managers, they were not themselves doing. So again, I come back, it's doing simple things consistently that so many managers don't do because they're too busy doing more urgent, but not necessarily more important things. Yeah. Sometimes we need to step into the unknown rather than always waiting to know what it is we're stepping into. And to do that, to do that, we need to let go of some stuff. And that might be our need for that validation of the status of the title. Uh, It might be the, the financial rewards. Now, I'm a pragmatist. I I couldn't let go of all my financial rewards immediately. But there is a piece about how can you make that work and stepping into the unknown, letting go of something that's been holding you back. And that was one of the things that was apparent to me that I actually just wasn't giving myself the freedom to try new things. My head was full of the shoulds. I should do this. I should have a career that looks like this. I should work these kind of hours. I should um, do this for my family. Oh, also as a working mother, uh, I should be the one who looks after everybody and everything. And all those pressures we put on ourselves. I mean, some of them come from other people, but we've absorbed them all. (laughs) You want a really defining moment that was actually on a yoga retreat. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this was not actually in a yoga class, but with a therapist that was who was there. So she was asking me what my gut instinct was about something. And I was asked, talking in the realm of what am I going to do with my career? Yeah. What does your gut instinct tell you? And I said, mm, nothing. <gasps> I, ha- I had so lost touch with what I wanted that I had to do, you know, quite a lot of my own soul searching. Yeah. And that's, so that was also brought me to doing more yoga, more meditation, more of those holistic. Um, yeah, connecting. Connecting with, with myself and realizing yeah. I hadn't done that and reflection. So, mm. you know, mm. one thing I'm always urging people to actually create the time and space for reflection because when we are so busy on some little hamster wheel, we, we lose track of what's really important to us. And we lose track of where our energy would be best spent, well, where we're going to create our energy and how we're going to use it. Mm. We need to step back and create that yeah. space for reflection to actually big picture thinking you know what what are we here to do we need that at an organizational level as well as at an individual level sometimes we just need to come back to the central question of why we're here at all yeah and then it's 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 understanding who we are at the core Mm. also sue like our what are our values that that we won't compromise and that's something that maybe we don't always understand until they're challenged yeah, I agree. Uh, and yeah. sometimes I think if we are really busy and we're really just on the treadmill with the blinkers on, 
we actually don't even see that they're being challenged mm. until they've been pushed so far that either we individually are potentially in a burnout kind of situation because we physically and mentally and emotionally have been pushed so far or that we've um, just been going along with this is the way things are for so long that we if we stop and think we realize that if we had a boundary here that we've been pushed way past it and we didn't notice it happen so I think it's really important to um, start thinking about our personal values and being able to articulate them as well and being able to articulate what it looks like to be successful at living those values and move away from you know a picture of success being all about the extrinsic rewards of you know mm -hmm. money and status and I always say to people of course it's great to have a beautiful home and be able to do things that you want to do and go on holidays or whatever. I love all those things too, but you've also got to weigh that up at, at what cost. Mm -hmm. And if it's mm -hmm. at the cost of your health or your family or that greater sense of uh, who you are at the core, then perhaps it's not worth it. I think as leaders, that's what we should be striving for is to create the workplace so that the people who come and work with us can bring their whole selves. And I mm. look at that particularly as a woman, there was an expectation that you checked your emotions at the door, but emotions are, are an important part of decision-making. We actually can't leave them out of the equation. And what I always found really interesting and very challenging was that the ways as a woman, I might express my emotions were not considered acceptable. But the way a man might express his emotions, particularly maybe around frustration and anger, were completely accepted within that corporate environment. I think they were, the, they were the norm. They were the norm. And I believe most women who've done well in corporate life have really been able to lean on their more masculine traits mm -hmm. and who've also had to leverage those because you had to find a way to fit in. You had to fit in to some degree within that stereotype, you know, which is a bit of a Don Draper from Mad Men kind of stereotype. <laughs> but at least it's not Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> God, yes, at least not. But, but as women or as people of color or as gay people, there's a whole part of your life that you had to cover up at work. I hid my pregnancy, for my first pregnancy, I hid the fact that I was pregnant until uh, I was halfway through. Wow. So. Because you felt it. Because it I felt it would better. be judged in certain. Now, obviously that was one that was going to have to come out. But, but <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> Uh, but there was a particular transaction on the cards at the time <laughs> that I yeah. didn't want to be written off as she's about to go on maternity leave. So we don't really care about what she thinks. Now, wow. my, that daughter is now 19 years old. So this is not yesterday, but there are still horror stories around about these kind of things. I think we've made huge strides, but I also think this whole piece about what the ideal corporate worker looks like 
has not shifted anywhere near enough. Mm. And we've still got a lot more work to do because I do think really at this time, more than ever, actually, we're seeing mm. the benefits of having leaders. And it, they, this is not about all women leaders are better than all male leaders. This is about whether you're a man or a woman, which kinds of traits are you bringing to the workplace? And mm. we're seeing that you do need to be uh, strong and have certainty about who you are. And part of that is actually really being compassionate and empathetic to other people. And this, mm. this balancing of strength with empathy. I mean, one of the things that Friends of the Earth, um, we're, we're very keen on, and you know, we're not perfect, but we're improving, is having a culture where people do feel protected psychologically safe and able to speak out not just on whistleblowing but you know grievance policies and things like that to improve the culture within the organization psychological safety it's an interesting one because i guess the culture has to come from the top that it does yeah and you know and that's all about being authentic being open, sharing early. Obviously, the last couple of months have been slightly uh, unusual and we've been through lots of challenges within organisations, as I'm sure everybody has. And, you know, we haven't always got it right. We've put things in place which have changed very quickly and we've had to adapt as we go through. And, you know, we're not perfect. We'll get it wrong. And actually feeling confident enough to say, sorry, you know, my bad, we misinterpreted something or this isn't what I thought. I think it's quite, it takes quite a mature SLT to have that mindset. I was going to say it's quite grown up. <laughs> yeah, it's quite grown up. And it, you know, I'm not saying that there's not like behind the scenes angst, but yeah, we, we're trying. We're trying really hard. Staff must yeah. recognise that, Kim. Yeah, I think so. We have interim CEOs at the moment, and that's basically been their focus is about having an organisation which is more mature, has the, those principles in place so that we can learn from each other. You know, SLT, just because in this, they're in these positions, doesn't mean we'll always get it right. We're, we're stronger when we work together. So what we're trying to do is empower people to, um, you know, speak up, not just on whistleblowing fraud things like that, but just within normal course of events. So, you know, the best ideas come from the bottom. Absolutely. Yeah, rather than the top. Absolutely. Yeah. So if it's not just to create a better work environment and a happier world, because when you're happier at work, you're taking that home. And when you're miserable at work, you're taking that home. So it's more than that. It's actually contributing to the bottom line as well. If you can make more money by creating better work environment, you don't even have to invest that much money to create this better work environment. It's about making better decisions. If you can make more money by doing that, then to me, it's really a no-brainer. Making better decisions, is that the missing ingredient of happiness in the workplace? What do you mean by better decisions? For me, it, it centers around people and it's about putting people first. And you know, you'll have a lot of this talk around putting customers first and, and all of that stuff. But actually, the evidence shows if you put your staff first, and I know Richard Branson talked about this quite a lot, it's really about putting people first in the organization. Now, I take that a step further and I talk about using data 
to back up your decisions. So oftentimes we make decisions based on gut. It could be based on maybe potentially flawed performance reviews and things like that. So it's using objective data to make better decisions, whether that's data that already exists in house. So you're like, I think we have a retention issue. Let's have a look at that. And are the numbers telling us something from that? Is there a problem here? And then if there is a problem identified, then having a look at, well, what might be some of the key drivers of that? You know, maybe it could be caused by a specific department or a specific manager and start looking at that in more detail. But coming back to, to the point of it's it's really about, and I know you're into this as well, Susan, it's about putting people first. Whenever you make decisions, it's about thinking about people. And you can tell the difference between companies who tend to put their people first versus companies who don't. It's it's do you view people as just objects and this is a machine or a robot that I've hired to do a task versus treating people like human beings? And it's it's really putting the human back into the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. But maybe we can just pay more. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the thing is, money, I don't have the stats uh, to hand, but let's say it's the law of diminishing returns. So you need to pay them enough money so that money doesn't become an issue. So pay them enough so that they feel like they are getting paid fairly. Now, that might mean different things to different people. So you pay people enough to take money off the table and then you create an environment where they can really live up to their full potential. They can see the impact that they're having and that that impact that they're having is in line with the change that they want to see in the world. They can witness around them the behaviors that align with their own core values. Those values are embodied by the leadership. They are rewarded. And anything that goes against those values is reprimanded in some way. I, I was going to say publicly reprimanded, but I mean in a, in a nice way, like that you, you're not taking someone down, but you're making it very clear that, that the kind of behavior that is acceptable in the organization and the kind of behavior that's not. And, and I know that ties in a lot with what you talk about, Susan, in relation to having tough conversations, because those conversations are hard to have. They are really, really tough. How do you make workplaces happier? Well, for me, it's uh, based on the research that I did for my dissertation. Um, I, I looked at uh, this concept of fit and the specific type I looked at was person environment fit. What this means is looking at values alignment, needs satisfaction and abilities your abilities to meet the demands of the role essentially and if you think about work today and have a look on any job search websites what we require is x number of years of experience and you need to have xyz skills to back that up and i know you'll agree with me on this like skills and experience are pretty meaningless experience especially x number of years of experience it really depends on, on the types of experiences that you've had. So that's how we currently recruit. It's how we describe jobs. Careers are seen as very linear, but they're not, they're not linear at all. But they're projected in this way. That actually has a very low impact on whether or not you fit in at work. And the things that have the bigger impact are the values alignment. So making sure that as an organization, you know what your core values are. And then when you're hiring someone, you hire someone whose values align with yours. 
How you do that is you can do it through interviews. You can do it through surveys and really ascertaining what are the values that already exist in the team that I'm hiring for, in the manager that I'm hiring under, and ascertaining what are the values of the candidates who are interviewing for this role. The thing with values is, and this was a really interesting part of the research, that if you can show someone how their needs are being satisfied at work, then that really underlines the importance of values and it shows people how their values are aligned with an organization. So so I'll give an example. The three basic psychological human needs that we have are based on self-determination theory. The three needs are autonomy, relatedness, and competence. Autonomy is this concept that we get to choose what we do and how we do it. Relatedness then is how we relate to other people in that organization. It's a sense of belonging that we have. Now, didn't form part of the research I did, but I always like to include that it's how we relate what we do on a day-to-day basis to the bigger picture of what the organization is trying to achieve. And then competence is the, the third element of that. And that is feeling capable of doing your job. And moreover, I think it's important to get feedback So when you're delivering feedback to people, it's not dumbing down the negative, but it's setting clear, really clear expectations as to what is expected in this role. And then when someone is performing well, providing really great, valuable feedback and and letting people know the impact that they're having. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers.